0: Three years ago this month, an Argentine prosecutor by the name of Alberto Nisman was found bludgeoned and shot to death in his Buenos Aires apartment. The timing was suspicious, but it was also quite convenient for a select and devious few. You see, the day he was found dead was the day before he was to present devastating evidence about a major cover-up before Argentina's Congress. He planned to say that he had gathered a large body of evidence establishing that the Argentine government, at the highest levels, had a direct hand in covering up Iran's role in the 1994 AMIA bombing. The bombing at AMIA, a Jewish community center in Buenos Aires, killed 85 people and remains the most deadly terrorist attack in Argentina's history. Niesman had committed his life to exposing Iran's responsibility for the bombing as well as finding justice for the victims and their families. He was murdered in pursuit of this goal, but his work and his lessons live on. I'm joined this week by FTD's Toby Dershowitz, an expert who's followed this story for years. She knew Alberto Nisman well, respected him professionally, and she's here to discuss the legacy of his work and what lies ahead. This is Foreign Policy. I think that most Americans before September 11th, 2001, didn't think a lot about terrorism and especially didn't think a lot about terrorism committed by people who would describe themselves as jihadists. But you can go back, in fact, I want you to, to July 18th, 1994, when there was an act of terrible terrorism perpetrated in Argentina. Talk about what happened on that day.
1: Sure. First of all, Cliff. Uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, it was actually a wintry day. It was July 1994. Uh, even though it was July, that was winter in Argentina. And uh, a suicide bomber drove a Renault van laden with about 600 pounds of uh, nitrate, ammonium, and and, um, and uh, fuel into the AMIA building. The AMIA was the Jewish community center in the commercial district of Buenos Aires. The blast caused the entire building to collapse. It was a five-story building, causing damage not only to it, but to some of the buildings uh, in the surrounding area. And it was really quite a devastating attack. It was, as you mentioned, the largest, the, the deadliest attack actually in Argentina's history. So this wasn't really just about the Jewish Community Center. This was... Uh, a devastating attack for all of Argentina. So what happened? Argentina closed its borders. You know, it's part of the tri-border area, and uh, the tri-border
0: it, area being which three countries?
1: Uh, Brazil, Argentina, and and Paraguay. Right, and uh, they were very concerned that perhaps other terrorists uh, would come through.
0: They had no idea at this point who had done this or why.
1: That's a great question. They had no idea, but actually, it came just to provide a little context. It came. Two years after the bombing of the Israeli embassy also 1992, in nineteen ninety two. Also in Buenos Aires, not that far really from the AMIA building. And that terrorist attack was deemed to be done by Iranian backed Hezbollah as well. Twenty-nine people were killed in that.
0: And let's just be clear, Hezbollah is a Lebanese-based organization, very much considered to be a terrorist organization, and a proxy organization of the Islamic Republic of Iran. Just so people understand what we're talking about when we're talking about Hezbollah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we talk about it being uh, not just a, a Jewish community um, center, but the one of the last victims, actually the last victim, was identified this past year. And his name was Augusta Daniel Jesus. And as you said, uh, Hezbollah at the time claimed responsibility. Today, of course, Iran denies Uh, any complicity in it. But it was a huge, huge attack for Argentina. And it continues to this day to receive a lot of attention, not only in Argentina, but frankly, worldwide.
0: So Hezbollah did not deny responsibility, but Iran did. Mm -hmm. That's odd because Hezbollah is known to take funding and instruction from Tehran. Yeah.
1: I was actually looking last week at a declassified document from the FBI that was an agent's description of a Hezbollah counterfeit ring operating here in the United States, and the undercover agent was listening to a member of the cell in the United States disclose information about where counterfeit dollars were made, which in this particular case was in Lebanon. But in the process of uh, the undercover agent listening in on these conversations, actually having conversations with these members of the Hezbollah cell, they revealed um, they boasted, actually, that that uh, it was a Hezbollah cell that took out the Amia building in Argentina. This is something that they're proud of,
0: right? And now, look, we know that Hezbollah um, hates Israel. We know that Hezbollah actually hates Jews. Um, but there's more than to it than that. Uh, they could have found Jewish victims. They could have found pro-Israeli victims, as they see it. Anywhere in the world, there was a reason they focused in this instance on Argentina.
1: They did, and uh, Alberto Nisman, who we'll talk about in a minute, and who was the prosecutor who, uh, who, who investigated in great detail, um, he believed that the reason that Iran did this was because the United States had recently asked uh, Argentina to um, not quite uh, terminate fully, but to halt, to slow down the nuclear cooperation, that it was that it was engaging in with Iran. That is, Argentina and Iran had a, had nuclear ties. Uh, Argentina is a nuclear country, um, and it provided technology to, to Iran. And the United States had asked Argentina to halt that, and Alberto Nisman believed that that was why Iran did this.
0: So the U.S. said to Argentina, don't cooperate anymore with nuclear technology with Iran. There's various reasons we see them as a menace. Argentina said, "Okay, the U.S. is our ally. We will." And what you're saying is what Alberto was surmising, is that Iran and Hezbollah said, "Well, we're going to punish the Argentinians for this, but let's do it through their Jewish community. Let's, let's let's hit let's hit them rather than hit anything else. That'll show them that they've made a mistake." In disrespecting us. That'll show them not to listen to the U.S. that if we want to work with them they work with us. Am I have, I have that right?
1: You have it exactly right.
0: Okay so initially there must have been an investigation obviously you've got terrorism. Uh, Alberto came to it when?
1: Alberto came to it actually in September 2004. He That's a long
0: time after now. Now this was a 1994 attack. What, we, what you're saying I think is that investigations began there was reason to believe Hezbollah was responsible. But there was no progress made in investigating this terrorist attack for a long time.
1: Um, I want to tell you, if I can, just a a story that I'm reminded of that Alberto once told me in in kind of the beginning of when I met him, which was probably in uh, 2005. He told me that when President Nestor Kirshner asked him to take over the case. Now, let's remember who Nestor Kirshner was, right? Uh, He was the president at the time. After he died, his wife, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, was elected president. But it was actually Nestor Kirchner who asked Alberto to take on the case. Alberto had already been working on the case in a more sort of a junior level. And Alberto told me this incredible story. At the time, it didn't seem so remarkable. When President Kirchner asked him to take on the case, he said to him, President Kirchner, I will take on this case under one condition that you allow me to take this case wherever the evidence leads. And it seemed to me like an odd thing to say at the time. You know, why would he not be allowed to take the case wherever the evidence leads? But as I got to know the case and I started to understand Argentina more and looked at the history of so-called irregularities, it became crystal clear to me. Uh, what that meant. And that's what really made Alberto different. He was willing, no matter what, to take this case wherever the evidence led.
0: And did he receive that assurance that he could follow the evidence? That if it went to people in the Argentine government who may have been colluding, collaborating, conspiring with the Iranians, that was okay? Was that Nestor uh, Kirchner's view?
1: It was. And Nestor Kirchner supported Alberto uh, throughout Alberto's time uh, working on the investigation. Matter of fact, so did Christina Kirchner support Alberto's work, not only uh, kind of directly, but even in public at the United Nations when she spoke about the AMIA attack um, for a number of years at the United Nations. Things changed, but we can certainly get to well, that. let's
0: start, let's begin to go into what began to change, because he began to follow the trail, he began to uncover evidence, and in time, he did not have the full support of the Argentinian government and presidency? Well,
1: if I may, Cliff, maybe I'll just mention what did he find, right? What were his first findings? So um, he took on the case in 2004. In 2006, he issued his first big indictment, and that was, as you mentioned, against the Iranians. Who were these Iranians? These Iranians were really people at the highest level of the Iranian government. Ali Fallahian, for example, was Iran's minister of intelligence at the time. Mohsen Rabani was the cultural attache at Iran's embassy. In Argentina. In Argentina. Uh, Ahmed Vahidi, he led the IRGC's Kud Force, Iran's Revolutionary Guard Quds Force.
0: Which is the overseas expeditionary force of uh, the, the Revolutionary Guards.
1: It is a no... Uh, a, not only that, but he actually became the defense minister of Iran. So we're talking about people at the senior levels of government. Um, Mohsen Raza'i, who was the commander of the IRGC at the time, he has actually run for president of Iran since then. And then, in addition to those people, the foreign minister at the time. Of oh, Argentina. Ak- oh, no, no you're uh, talking about the Iranians. Still we're talking still about, talking about senior, just the Iranians. Okay. Absolutely. Um, Ali Akbar Velayati. Mm-hmm. He was Iran's foreign minister at the time. And of course, we can't forget that he also laid blame with Ali Akbar um, Hashemi Rafsanjani, mm-hmm. who was president uh, when at, at the time the attack occurred. So that was really his major achievement. And it was based on Alberto's evidence that led Interpol to issue red notices, not for the president and not for the foreign minister because Interpol doesn't give out red notices for such senior people, but certainly for all the other ones. And
0: red notices sort of like an international warrant. Uh, for...
1: Yeah, no, that, that's so, and, exactly right.
0: And the other thing just to emphasize here is we're not talking about some rogue elements within the Iranian government or military or revolutionary guard or intelligence. We're talking about very senior leaders of the regime who he found evidence that suggests strongly that they were behind this terrorist attack.
1: That's right, and it was compelling enough for Interpol to issue these red notices akin to international arrest warrants.
0: Okay, so then then at that point, he still has the support of the Argentine
1: government? He does, and um, he had it for quite some time until uh, really just a couple of years before he died, uh, when Christina Kirshner decided to uh, have a back channel to Iran she and uh, at the time the foreign minister of Argentina Hector Timmerman and a whole host of others were engaged in creating this back channel was it secret was it not actually it it became not secret right it was exposed mm-hmm. um and the problem wasn't so much that they had the you know, this back channel, right, which could have been put to good use. But the fact is, Alberto believed that it wasn't. Iran and Argentina, under the support of Christina Kirchner, put together a memorandum of uh, understanding. And the public point of it was to um, jointly investigate the Amia bombing, right? And that's to this day what they say was the point of it. But Alberto took a look at the details like a good lawyer, and he said, what is this Article 7? Article 7, in essence, would have allowed Interpol to lift the red notices because Interpol says, if the two countries are working together, Interpol doesn't really need to have these arrest warrants. And he always pointed to that Article 7, which says, That was the reason for the red notices.
0: But at this point, it's getting pretty obvious that this agreement between Argentina and Iran to investigate is a sham because we already know uh, the answers to this investigation. Iran is not going to want to 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 confirm that, yeah, some of our top people were involved in this. That's not what's going to be happening here. That's pretty obvious at this point.
1: It was certainly obvious to Alberto, and that's why he, you know, he was dogged in saying this. You know, this can't be the case. Alberto didn't want to turn over all of his evidence, right, that he had accumulated to the Iranian government.
0: Do you think that uh, that President Kirchner was frightened of the Iranians? Was she going to get some rewards for herself or from for Argentina from the Iranians if she assisted with this? False investigation that was really meant to be a cover-up of, of Iran's involvement.
1: At the time, you know, Argentina was uh, having, you know, serious economic problems, and also she was running for president. So, you know, one theory is that Iran provided some of the funding, not directly, but through Venezuela, to fund her campaign. And there are all kinds of mm-hmm. um, reasons that that one. Uh, you know, might believe that there have been all kinds of investigations and exposés on that. Whatever the case might have been, the fact is that she did engage in this back channel, right? I personally, Cliff, never believed that it was just in exchange for a uh, better bilateral trade. Uh, I think that there was something more to it. Um, and it might have even been related to uh, an agreement for Argentina to re- Engage in nuclear activities with Iran.
0: Three years ago this month, at that point, Alberto Niesman had continued to develop his evidence. He had a huge amount of it, and he was planning to present it to the Parliament of Argentina the following day. And what happened?
1: Yeah. What happened was, even though his building in downtown. Uh, Buenos Aires was supposedly a secure building, had cameras everywhere, had guards specifically guarding him. He was found murdered in his apartment that Sunday.
0: The Sunday before the Monday when he would testify and he would say, I have evidence showing that the government of Argentina at the highest levels conspired with the Iranians to cover up their involvement in the worst terrorist attack in Argentina's history.
1: Absolutely. And I should mention that it wasn't a secret that he was going to be presenting the uh, case before the Argentine Congress the next day. It's important because he had filed the case just a couple of days before with an Argentine judge named Ario Lijo. Cristina uh, Kirshner knew about that. Uh, matter of fact, uh, he issued a press release about the case, right? There were people ranging from the New York Times to people like me who got it. But he didn't present all of the evidence, you know, in that press release. Um, But it was, in fact, filed. And I understand that Christina was very nervous about it, was very concerned about it, and tried to find out what, in fact, was uh, in that case. I should mention also, in the period leading up to his filing the case, you know, she, I mentioned that she was very nervous about it. She did something that I think would be unthinkable in the United States, which is she disbanded the entire intelligence agency, right? She didn't trust anybody anymore, and she disbanded the equivalent of the CIA. And so Alberto was kind of in a hurry to get this out before, uh, before something happened, before perhaps he was fired and wouldn't be able to present the case anymore as special prosecutor.
0: Now, we know for a certainty right now that Alberto was murdered that night. We'll talk about how we know that in a moment. We know that for a certainty. When he was found dead, it wasn't certain that he'd been murdered. In fact, there were various theories put out, including by President Kirchner, about what had happened to him. Talk about what happened, what the conversation was immediately after his death.
1: Well, it's a little bit surprising that the president of Argentina, um, hours after he was found dead, would come out on national TV and posit, well, not only really posit, but really assert he committed suicide. I mean, why would she have done that before uh, there was an investigation, before the evidence had, had been collected? Um, and, you know, there are many reports about what happened really on that day when he was found dead. There were a lot of people who were In the apartment, um, reports are that the people who were investigating weren't wearing gloves, that the crime scene was really not treated in the way that crime scenes need to be uh, treated. And it was a bit odd, if you ask me, that that she came out with that. And I should say, immediately, the Argentine public was irate. And they marched in the streets, thousands and thousands of people. They just didn't believe her. Within a couple of days, she changed her tune. And she asserted that it wasn't um, a suicide, but that it was uh, maybe a lover's spat. And after that, there was another theory, which was um, that maybe it was rogue elements of, of an intelligence agency. But uh, just in 2017, there was, under the new president, uh, President Macri, uh, a new report, which was more serious and thorough and what it showed was something very different than what the original, uh, the original report showed, which was that in fact Alberto was injected with ketamine, which was a which is a drug typically used to sedate animals, that he was um, uh, beaten, bludgeoned to death, uh, bruises all over his body, his kidneys, his ankles, and whatnot, and in fact there were two people at least in the room. Who, who were with him when, when he was murdered.
0: So he was bludgeoned, he was drugged, and then he was shot. Mm-hmm. And th- and now this is the official position. And no
1: fingerprints on his gun.
0: No fingerprints. It was his no. gun that was used to shoot him in the head.
1: It was a gun that was—actually, That's actually, I'm glad you raised that. It was a gun uh, that belonged to a guy named Diego Lagomarsino, who was uh, an IT assistant— for Nisman, and he alleged that it was Nisman who requested him to bring a gun. I never believed that, um, not really for a minute. And it was Diego Lagomarsino who also said that he was uh, that he committed suicide. Um, but it was Diego Marcinos' uh, gun that was used.
0: Okay, so we know now that Alberto Nisman was murdered. What do we know about who was responsible for ordering it and who was responsible for carrying it out?
1: We know only one thing according to uh, the judge, which is Diego Langomarsino, just a couple of weeks ago, was found to be an accomplice to murder. And it remains to be seen who, who killed him. I will just say this. People who say, we'll never know, we'll never find out, um, they don't want to find out. There are people who know who killed Nisman. There are people who, first of all, Diego Langomarsino knows. Who killed him? The uh, the people who were supposed to be his security guards know him. The people who made sure that the cameras, many cameras in his very secure apartment building, hmm, coincidentally didn't work that day. People know, and I think it's a matter of time before we find out.
0: Because there's a real effort to find out from those who do know how this was ordered, whether it was the whether the Iranians were involved, whether Hezbollah was involved, whether people in the argentine government were involved this is ongoing now there there is a real investigation because as you say there are people who know all the details it's just a matter of getting them to talk on the record
1: his murder was uh, not an accident his murder was ordered by someone i believe with the proper determination yeah we can find out
0: and what else has happened further indictments
1: something huge happened which is is perhaps the most important thing um, besides, obviously, finding out who murdered him, which is that, remember, Cliff, you said that he, you know, you reminded us that on Monday, January 19th, 2015, he was going to present this case to Congress, that the president of Argentina and, and other people were involved in an attempt to cover up who bombed the AMIA building. Well, it was based on Niesman's own investigation that he was due to present to Congress that day that Judge Bonadio, two, several years later, it was Nisman's evidence that formed the basis that was the heart of the evidence that led Judge Bonadio to indict President Kirshner. He indicted her on um, treason against the homeland. That's pretty devastating. That's yep. pretty serious. And that's a vindication of Nismann.
0: That's a vindication of Nisman. And is there a chance that she can actually be held accountable for this and punished for her role if it's convicted?
1: If you're asking if she will ever serve jail time, I really can't say if she will or not because she's a senator today and uh, she has immunity.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit as we get towards the last few minutes of, of this conversation but what justice would look like, about where this can go, assuming that the the current government in Argentina decides the truth should come out, and talk about why this is important.
1: A couple of things. I think justice will be served if we learn the lessons that Alberto really tried to teach us from the early days. Remember, he didn't just determine what happened on that day, who was driving the van, but what he determined was Iran's Mo throughout not only Argentina but throughout the hemisphere. So justice will be served in part if we learn his lessons. If he, if his work continues to be a roadmap, really for law enforcement, a justice will also be served if those red notices continue to be enforced, and if Interpol really forces Iran to give up those who should be um, uh, brought before a court. Um, Solving the murder of Alberto also is obviously very important. But, you know, as I'll just conclude by saying if we learn Alberto's lessons about the role that Iran and Hezbollah play in the region, I think that will be a part of justice. Well, I think
0: it's hugely important. It's hugely important in particular because the Europeans— to, to a great extent don't seem to recognize the fact that Iran is, as the U.S. has said for years, the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world at the very highest levels. And Iran has paid no particular price for this. Um, even after the demonstrations of recent days, the Europeans invited the foreign minister of Iran to come and they were cordial with him and they didn't criticize him for what was going on. Uh, Iran has not been and perhaps should be again, I think, sanctioned for its support of terrorism, for its human rights violations at home, for its ballistic missile program. None of this has to do with the Iran deal. The reality of what Iran represents in this world, a nation dedicated to jihad, a nation – not a nation but a regime, I should say, because I don't think the nation supports it, but a regime that is dedicated openly to death to America. That's very important to recognize here in America but even more in Europe.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned Europe, too, because while this happened in Latin America, the people who, you know, who who plotted the terrorist attack, they weren't just plotting terrorist attacks in Latin America. They were plotting uh, terrorist attacks in our very own backyard. Mm -hmm. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, remind people that Mohsen Rabani, one of the red notice holders, um, was the uh, guru, if you like, of of uh, the the Guyanese officials and, and others who plotted to blow up JFK, JFK International Airport.
0: Most people don't know this.
1: Most people don't know this, but there are three people serving life sentences in U.S. jails for plotting to blow up JFK. Had it been successful and had it not been foiled, um, it arguably would have been even deadlier than 9-11.
0: So this is very much about the reality uh, in the world and the role that Iran plays that too many people don't recognize. And there's more to come. This is not over yet. There are more chapters to be written. Uh, we'd like to see, I think, justice for Alberto O'Neisman and for the victims of the EMEA bombing. And we'll want to have you back to talk about the next few chapters when they come. Toby, thanks for being here today.
1: Good to be with you, Cliff.
0: From all of us at FDD, thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Foreign Policy. If you want to know more about the subject, go to albertoneisman.org and look up Toby's December 11th New York Times op-ed. As always, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like the show and have feedback for us, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. We'd appreciate your thoughts, your comments, even your criticisms. We hope you'll join us again in the future. Until then, I'm Cliff May, and you've been listening to Foreign Policy.